0: Thank you.
1: In, purple parrot it's blue Barracuda hello Who, who's got this number it's me you idiot oh yeah Matt hey hey
0: how are you we're still trying to get those pants also we find ourselves in the midst of a uh, what seems to be a skirmish uh here on the planet are you guys okay like like physically yes. But mentally, I may need to talk some things out
1: right now. Hey, I'm free from my membership. Oh, oh,
0: perfect, perfect. We won't need those pants,
1: right? Well, we'll need the person wearing those pants because that person will also have the captain's jacket. And the captain is Chip. What, Chip from the gym? Yes and no. Jim Chip was a hologram. The real captain is on world. Okay. Oh, we need to find someone who looks like Chip.
0: Hey, He might be at the fancy high-tea low-tide party. Uh, Gatsby is throwing it.
1: What do you mean, Gatsby's throwing a party? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to tell you. Evelyn is Gatsby. (sighs) I hate to break it to you, Charlie, but she isn't. Gatsby is right here with me. But she had the helmet and everything, and... Gatsby said his spare helmet was stolen. Now we know the culprit. Oh. Oh, well, now I feel Silly. It's okay. She's very convincing and very attractive. She still thinks that we think she's Gatsby. Can we do anything with that? Hmm. You said something about a party. Yeah, it's to set terms for a truce between the warring factions here. There will probably be appetizers and toasting. Oh, most definitely. I wouldn't partake in any drink. It might be poisoned. Hmm, That is some good thinking. Are you guys going to crash the party and rescue us? Of course. Wouldn't have it any other way. Are you in a secure location? Sure. I'm in the guest bathroom
0: on the transport ship. So, yeah, secure. We're heading to Evelyn's HQ
1: right now. Uh, Why? Do you have time for a surrender bite? I found one by the smoothie lounge holding a few napkins from blowing away due to the industrial fans because you need to keep the gym cool. Are you
0: playing the surrender bite or not?
1: All right. All right. Playing surrender bite now. The poo-poo platter is not what you think it is. I don't want to risk it, you know? I swear, it's just an ensemblage of American, Chinese, or Hawaiian appetizers. Well, then they should call it the appetizer platter. Yeah, but you know, that doesn't have that
0: cultural authenticity. Well, what about the authentic Australian bloomin' onion? Hmm.
1: Well. Wow. A lot to unpack there. And we're back! <laughs> Broadcasting from our studio on the pale blue dot we call Earth, we've got a great short for you today.
0: That's right, Matt. Today we talk about all things appetizers.
1: Appetizing. It will be. Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. You have a can do attitude.
1: <laughs> Canope. Canope. The American Canope. <laughs> comedian, we'll start with a quote from Jim Gaffigan, he said, Yeah, the appetizer. That's the food we eat before we have our food. No, no, you're thinking of dessert. That's food we eat after we have our food. Such an icon. Appetizers. Mm-hmm. Now, an appetizer may be defined as a small dish of food or a drink taken before a meal or the main course of a meal to stimulate one's appetite. Or something that arouses or increases anticipation of what is to follow.
0: Appetizing, indeed. Anticipation. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, you were making me wait on that one. I see what you did You've there.
1: You never seen Rocky Horror? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, no, everyone's you, seen oh it. My, you've not seen Rocky Horror. It's just a step to the. I'm left. taking you to a live show.
0: I mean, let's let's do the time warp again, okay?
1: You're killing me. Yeah. Tim, <laughs> Tim Curry frowns at you. <laughs> no, I've seen it already. <laughs>
0: it's just been a long time since I've seen just, it. Patient. <laughs> One of the best lines ever. <laughs> say it. Say it. God, say it. No. The appetizer has a long and winding history, but is very much an American idea that is also shared with the Brits. The British. The British. The word is what Americans use to describe an hors d'oeuvre, which is a French word in origin. It literally translates to outside the work. And we'll get into why this is in a little bit.
1: Outside the work. Like Mm -hmm. opera. The work of opera. Yeah, hors d'oeuvres likely started all over the world with similar intentions. Uh, The tradition may have started in Russia, where it's likely that caviar, fish and meats were served when returning from long travels and before a main big meal. Now, it's just as likely that the tradition could have started and it may have started at the same time in China and made its way down through Russia and eventually into Russia. Then into Sweden, where the smorgasbord was created. That's
0: such a great word.
1: I like that word. Yeah. I want to go eat at a smorgasbord. Smorgasbord, cornucopia. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see cornucopia in any of this. You didn't put cornucopia in there? No. Well, it was not an appetizer. Oh, it's I mean, like you could cornucopia. have a cornucopia of advertisers. Yes, you could. Yeah. But from Sweden, it made its way down to Italy to form the antipasto. The opposite of pasta. And then, of course, to France. <laughs> oh, as, as a kid, Pasta that's what I and yeah. antipasta come okay. together. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we wind up in France with the uh, hors d'oeuvres. The Romans were
0: also known to serve fish, veggies, cheese, and olives before a meal, or sometimes even a sweet dessert to increase one's appetite. Have you ever had a dessert before your dinner? Whitney does all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I've done it once or twice with her, and I'm like, nah, I just I don't. I'll have like a cookie or something before like a small dinner. Mm-hmm. If it's like a multi-stage dinner like that's spread out over like a long period of time, like maybe like a Thanksgiving dinner, then like you're going to have snacks ahead of time, and some of those are going to be sweet snacks. So you can consider those to be desserts. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Logic. Stretching a little bit. But uh, hors d'oeuvres, however, strictly is a French invention. There was a point in time during the Middle Ages that was customary for French cuisine to be served with entremet, which literally translates to between servings. These uh, could have been food at this point in history, uh, some sort of performing art, like a musical presentation. Do you know that? Entremet? Yeah. I know, consommé.
1: The, the soup, but I didn't know entremé. Yeah. But it could be music or like uh, like the gestures. They could bring those guys out mm-hmm. to do like a comedic or even a dramatic performance.
0: Like funny man. Yeah. Funny man, tell me a funny joke. Here's your appetizer. But oh, I'm
1: so hungry.
0: <laughs> no, watch
1: this guy and laugh. Please, no, sir.
0: Please, sir.
1: <laughs> Just a sausage.
0: <laughs> Maybe some potatoes.
1: Some gravy. Cheese sticks. Yeah. Oh, those aren't invented yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unappreciated my <by> time. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, the word entremé now commonly refers to uh, dessert.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, at some point in the 1600s, the French began laying out the entire meal in a symmetrical fashion, and all of the food was laid out at the same time. God forbid. With the entremés laid between the main courses. Uh, small dishes were eventually placed outside of the main symmetry, which leads us back to the hors d'oeuvre being placed outside the work. There were air quotes on that. It's like- oh, I-, I heard the air quotes. A circle of symmetrical food. Oh, God. (laughs) Eventually, formal dining took on the order of successive courses with which we're currently familiar. You know, the first course, second course, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. This is about the same time that entremets became synonymous with sweet desserts. The English, however, changed things
0: up a bit because, you know, they put a little English on it. They would tend toward a savory dish being served near the end of the meal, sometimes even after dessert, which made the traditional hors d'oeuvres unnecessary. They're never they unnecessary. Yeah, there's <laughs> always fish and chips, right? <laughs> but they don't have anything I don't else. Fish and chips, actually. They're, I mean, they're okay. I mean, it's just like I wouldn't eat them every single day. I want to have them as like a post dessert meal. They were good in Ireland. Yeah, they were. Yeah.
1: Oh, huh. I had be, I yeah, had them in fresh. like London, and like oh. they,
0: they were like. Ugh.
1: No, they were in in Ireland. They were like fresh and really really well well made. Yeah.
0: They were made fast in London. Like they're made extremely
1: fast. <laughs> they just scooped them up out of the big pile in the back. Pretty much. Like, like under a heat right, lamp.
0: Get them all fish and chips. Uh, that's, what, that's what they would say. Now it's still
1: wriggly. Flop, flop. Fry it up. <laughs> hey, that's another American. I <laughs> <That> don't care. <count.
0: laughs> so, yeah. Um, Americans started serving hors d'oeuvres about the same time uh, they became popular in England in the middle of the 1800s. But we changed the name to appetizer. Uh, We also changed the order and number of courses to three. And we started with an appetizer and then have a main course and then dessert.
1: Simple American. Mm -hmm. Cocktail parties were beginning to gain popularity about this time before World War I, but only slightly. And appetizers and drinks were the only foods served at cocktail parties. Now, when Prohibition started, mocktails were served with appetizers in the U.S. But when Prohibition was repealed appetizers became even more popular as they were thought to counter the effects of stronger drinks that were allowed to be served after prohibition this is a key event because this is when appetizers moved from strictly being served on a dining table to being served by servers on trays this is also the birth of the canapé canapé
0: now gertrude berg american actress had said by some people the meal itself is a long delay between the appetizer and the dessert So now that we know the definition and origins, let's take a trip to admire these amazing appetizers. Let's start right at home here in the good old USA. America. America. We have to start with the Buffalo Wing, which started in Buffalo, New York. What? Yeah, right. Of all places. When Teresa Bellissimo, that's a beautiful name, no? She served left... (laughs) Bellissimo. Right, right. She served leftover wings cooked in hot sauce to her son and his friends. They loved the idea so much that the son began traveling the country, promoting them. And then an interesting thing about uh, wings, chicken wings, originally they were all thrown out. So if you couldn't make a stock or like a a full uh, chicken dinner out of it, they would throw everything out beforehand. uh, Now, like with the wings and everything, they would actually use them for food. Hmm. And probably
1: kill chickens just for the
0: wings. Well I, mean, well, I don't that's know. A, that, that's, waste that's, a, that's a dark side a to waste. it. But I, I would say they they more effectively utilize the chicken today yeah. versus like just taking the bones, making stock out of it, and then throwing everything else out.
1: Well, I, that's weird because I, I I would prefer uh, buffalo wings, but like fried chicken wings are pretty tasty. They are pretty know, tasty. So. Yeah, but there was a time um, when they didn't exist. Hmm. that's very sad. Now, crab cakes are another American staple. Several dips that we also have with chips, uh like onion dip, artichoke dip, and nacho cheese. Pigs in a blanket. Those uh if you're not American, this is basically like a little Vienna sausage or a very small sausage, like one to two inches, like uh three to six centimeters.
0: Yes, baby sausage.
1: It's very tiny. Is so small. You couldn't even see it. And then we will wrap it in like a very tiny croissant looking Piece some type, of bread. Like a crepe or a pancake kind yeah, of thing, some dough, doughy bread, mm-hmm. and uh, bake them. That's that's pretty much a picking a blanket. Uh, anything fried is also an American appetizer, like cheese fries or cheese sticks or fried pickles,
0: fried cheese pickles or cheese fried pickles.
1: Yes, Ooh, cheese fried pickles. Mm. Might be on something. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, Write wait. that down. <laughs> Write that down right now. We also fry uh, Oreos and Snickers. If you guys haven't been to our oh, fairs. I've had a fried Oreo. Oh. oh man, have you had a fried Snickers? I haven't had a fried Snickers oh. before. Because everything is gooey. Like the chocolate is melted, the caramel's melted. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's
0: oh, we should put in a PSA. I don't even
1: have to chew, <laughs> except the peanuts. <laughs>
0: Did you know there's a trend that people uh, fry water?
1: Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Have you seen that? And the little balls. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Don't Just do that, people. Don't fry water. <laughs> well. It's super dangerous. Yeah, yeah. You
1: don't put water into a. Make fire. sure your turkey's thawed out. You... <laughs> same, same thing. All right, now on to our neighbors to the south. Mexico favors vegetarian appetizers called botanas, and Central American countries typically serve bocas, which translates to mouthfuls.
0: Now across the sea, a bit uh, in Hawaii, appetizers are called poo poo, hence the poo poo platter.
1: Oh, you were serious? That's actually a poo poo. Yeah, not, oh. yeah mm-hmm.
0: the first of which included egg rolls, chicken wings, and spare ribs. Not too shabby. Continuing west in Australia, oysters and foie gras are pretty popular. The kiwis like lamb skewers and blue cod sliders. Samoans uh, like roast pork and chicken and spicy sauce.
1: That makes uh, me think of the, uh, you've seen Moana, right? Yeah, when uh, she's like, mm, "That's good pork," and her pet pig is sitting right there. I know that. I uh, <laughs> just uh, I gotta uh, somebody's <laughs> calling me, so
0: I'm sure, pretty sure it's hard for that uh, that character to rationalize what's going on. It's like, hey, where where is Steve? <laughs> Steve's been missing for a long. T- if oh, <laughs> I sh- I should call him. A bit north and west in Asia, India calls the appetizer a shot.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, sh- so. I don't know. How I, yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, and serves them
1: throughout the day. Uh, Japan calls their pre-meal food sensei. Koreans call it poncheon. In the Mediterranean, they are known as mezes. And continuing to wrap back around to Europe, many
0: English appetizers, also called starters by the Brits, involved a pitted date or prune. Yuck. <laughs> the French also have crudité, like crudité. Uh, salads with at least three different vegetables, all with striking colors. So, you know, those little, uh, crudités, um, things you can get from the store that nobody really eats and you bring to parties anyways, and then everyone else brings cookies and donuts and you're like, oh yeah, finally some <laughs> food I can eat. Well, the other stuff is crudité. Mine's healthy. <laughs> I brought shaved carrots and ranch. <laughs> Why am I not the favorite? Uh, the French, um, yeah, the French do things differently. The Italians have antipasto, which is a dish served cold and may consist of olives, cheese, or pickled vegetables. I like antipasto, the opposite of pasto. I think it's pretty good. Now, Charlie Barnett, American actor, had said, I'm a full on appetizer kind of guy. I'm a Lunchables fanatic too. I like anything tiny that you can make in front of you and eat. I'm fascinated by that. I don't know why, but it's something I've always had.
1: I admire that. Tiny little bits of food. <laughs> I love tiny things. You like all the foods. Yeah. All the weird foods. Mm -hmm. Now for some amazing actualities and advertisements about appetizers. Alliteration aside. (laughs) All the alliteration. About 4% of all cheese produced winds up being stolen, making it the most stolen food in the world. Wait, what? Speaking of cheese... Shredded cheese. I, <laughs> I going to gloss over that. <laughs> Where did you find these numbers? Uh, I looked this one up because I was like, there's no way. I was like, oh, yeah, it is. Like, if most individual, if you look at each individual. Wait, food, is it some sort of Havarti heist? I, well, I think it's uh, like the, the higher end cheeses are swiped a lot of times. You know, there's a cheese bank in Italy, right? Well, we have a cheese bank in America. Yeah. Government cheese. That's a real thing. It's stored in uh, some cave like out in Indiana or somewhere.
0: That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, in Italy, with a Parmigiano-Reggiano, you can actually turn those in as
1: collateral for loans <laughs> in a bank. Yeah. Well, see, now, now uh, it's not making it's making more sense, isn't it? Yeah, but 4% of all cheese being stolen? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. know. But anyway, shredded cheese may contain up to 9% cellulose. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, that's to keep the cheese from sticking together. But well, what's cellulose? Well, you know what the most common source is? Uh, cellulose is a plant fiber. Yeah. It's, it's part of the, uh, like, the cell wall. Wood. Wood pulp. Oh, is, God. So you literally have wood shavings in your shredded cheese. Oh, it goes into, like, paper? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, the, it's it's not harmful or anything, but it's just the thought that it's wood pulp. So I see the cheese at the grocery store that says cellulose-free, and it always clumps together. Yep, that's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you shred cheese and put it in a bag, it will eventually just kind of meld back together. My God. I must put wood chips in it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I use wood chips to separate the strands of cheese at home. (laughs) I I mean, you you can at home do this. It's a DIY. Um, But anyways, we transgress. Pizza Hut was once the largest buyer of kale, uh, not as a food item, but as
1: a decoration for the salad bar. I remember those days. I used to work at Pizza Hut. That was my first job. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, because we threw kale away a lot. <laughs> it's the
0: most nutrient-dense, cruciferous vegetable that you can find on the market. And Pizza Hubs was just like, oh, yeah, this is a display piece. It's so pretty. You, you're not supposed to eat it. <laughs> We're going to put it on the bare salad bar. Yeah. Right, don't touch it. Don't you eat. can have the pizza on top that's devoid <laughs> of anything of a nutritional content. Uh, also, there is some debate over the term calamari. While it is simply the Italian term for cooking squid, calamari may also refer to a small type of squid that is typically more tender and tastier than the bigger squid
1: cousins. Yeah. And I used to feel bad about eating squids because, you know, squids and octopi are and um, the, um, oh, what type of fish are they? There's another, the scuttlefish are part of these arthropods, maybe? Cuttlefish? Cuttlefish. I mean, I'm sure the scuttle. I think that's scuttlefish. But anyway, um the, they all belong to the same family, right? They're mm-hmm. super intelligent. Yeah. But then I found out that squid eat their own babies. I don't feel so bad about eating them anymore. Sharks eat their own babies. Well, I've had shark too. <laughs> <laughs> no eating babies on my watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nacho is the nickname of Ignacio in Spanish. And the dish was invented by Ignacio Anaya in Piedras Negras Coahuila, Mexico. In 1941. Nice. I had to (laughs) aspirate between each one. (gasps) (laughs) Uh, I had to mix in the Caesar salad because Charlie talked about it so much. Mm -hmm. So here it is.
0: It was invented by an Italian, but not the ruler of a Roman empire. The man's name was Caesar Cardini, who immigrated to the U.S. but ran restaurants in Mexico to avoid prohibition laws. Brilliant. Right? The salad itself was invented in Tijuana, Mexico at Cardini's Restaurant.
1: Now, from here, the history gets a little bit blurry because several people have claimed to invent the famous salad and dressing um, in different stories. But we we like to believe that Cardini himself invented it during a rush of customers on the 4th of July in 1924 when he used whatever he had left in the kitchen, which was romaine lettuce, garlic, croutons, Parmesan cheese, boiled eggs, olive oil, and Worcestershire sauce. Now, we'll leave you with a quote from Wayne Dyer, American author and motivational speaker. He said, the willingness and ability to live fully in the now eludes many people. While eating your appetizer, don't be concerned with dessert. Bon appetit.
0: And that's our short. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember, we exist within the universe.
1: And the universe exists within ourselves. We're all the stuff of stars.
0: So, have a stellar day, everyone, and thanks for stopping by our corner of the
1: cosmos. This has been the Midflight Crisis Podcast. You can support important spaceship repairs and maintenance by subscribing to the Midflight Crisis Patreon page. We'd love to hear your suggestions about the show and future topics, and we appreciate your support, ratings, and reviews. This endeavor isn't possible without amazing listeners like you. Thanks for sharing your space and time with us. We'll see you on our next adventure. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Drop us a line at intrepidtransfer at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.